0: Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. We see our thing, there it is, it's it's almost an idol in our life and we think about it and we worry about it and we realise we can't fix it, so we avoid it or we pray about it. And these disciples, just like us, who are authorised to deal with it, can't seem to break through. And they say things like, we couldn't drive a prayer and fasting before. And he says, well, the solution here is prayer and fasting. How can prayer and fasting be the solution to this issue of the demonic or of healing? He's saying, "Well, Because prayer and fasting brings you to me and it makes you listen. The answer is in listening to me, not telling me what the problem is. So in Mark six to eight, we learn about how to do that. And if I ever, if I get one question from the congregation of feedback all the time, it's like, look, love the principle, but how do we land that? So now, this is a, Mark six to eight is about how do we land that. He doesn't just ask the question, "Do you understand?" He goes deeper with that. And there's something in this whole problem that he's addressing with Peter when he says, "Why do you? Why are you talking to me about no bread?" There's something about that little word there, why, "no bread." that is an invitation, it's supposed to teach us something there. There's something about that phrase, there's an, an issue about, about the no bread in our life that's supposed to be teaching us something. He said it in Mark chapter 8, but the story starts in Mark chapter 6. It's not to remind us that, that we're to remind Jesus of that there's no bread. He's obviously saying, this is not the thing you've got to do here. It doesn't help to nag me. You know, we take that scripture way out of context. Nagging God is not... Um, You know we're not supposed to be telling him what's wrong all the time, and thinking that if I just keep telling him, he's obliged to respond. That's not that's not what that parable was supposed to mean. So he he goes to incredible lengths in all the gospels, all four of them, to flesh this out and try and make this work. And if you go back to Mark six in fifty one and fifty two, it's a it's the scene where Jesus has walked on the water. It's after the five thousand have been fed, after uh, before the four thousand are fed. Jesus walks on water. And he climbs into the boat and the wind dies down and it says they were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. You think, what is there to understand about loaves when we're talking about being amazed at you walking on water? Why do we ask that question? Because we don't understand. If you don't understand, it's okay. We don't understand. I want to help you understand and I want to help you know what understanding is. What is biblical understanding? It's very different to knowledge. Knowledge says... I just give you enough information and I'm assuming that you understand. But you're already informed way way beyond your level of experience, of of obedience, aren't you? You don't need any more knowledge. What we need is understanding. What does this mean? Well, I hope we get there. They were completely amazed at Jesus walking on water because they hadn't understood about the loaves that had been broken that had fed 5,000. Now, while you're probably trying to figure this out in your head before I tell you, this becomes a preacher's... Congregation competition that happens. I know this. Uh, You you want to try and nut this out before I get to it and say, No, I already got this, Paddock. I understand. So, while you're doing that, good luck with that. Let's look at where the lesson begins um, in the the book of Mark, and I'll pick it up in verse 35. But just before this, here's the situation Jesus has sent the 12 out at the beginning of Mark chapter 6. He sends out the 12 as it gives them authority. So, guys, here's the instructions. Don't attempt to grow a brain on this. Right. This is very clear. You're going out two by two, you go into the village, uh, I've authorised you, you've, got a, you've had an upgrade of authority now when you pray, the demons are going to come out, it's going to be fantastic, just do that, then come back. So he does that. At the same time, when that happens, they start doing miracles. This catalyzes a problem for King Herod because now people are starting to turn against Herod and, it's, and he thinks, oh... This is because of John the Baptist, or this is something radical. And so he responds by beheading John the Baptist. So Jesus sends out the 12. John loses his head in the crisis. The disciples come back and they start. And now they're called, if you look at the the text in Mark 6, verse 30, the disciples are now called apostles. They were disciples' verses before. Now the scripture calls them apostles, the sent ones. So he sent them out and now they're coming back. And they're coming back with a retort, report, Jesus, we did this, and you should have seen this, you know. And he's going, that's awesome, guys. You're just you're fantastic. I would never have known that was going to happen. <laughs> and but in that moment, so if you can imagine the turbulence of that, they've come back with a real win, but they're tired. Jesus is tired. And he's just heard that, he's, that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. So he's now going into mourning. He's tired, he's in mourning, and so now we're we're draining from the bottom of the tank. Now we're, we're, and the disciples are there too, and they're going, let's go away, let's get some rest now because we need to recoup because we're running on empty here and and it's not going to look good soon. Then the the crowd hunts them down and uh, tracks them down to where they are and somehow Jesus there just digs deep. He goes, okay, now we're beyond human strength here, as if we weren't already. Now we're going to see God do something. So we pick it up in verse 35 of Mark chapter 6. By this time... It was late in the day, so the disciples come to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Saying, it's very late, Jesus. It's late. We're done. And you might feel like that too in your faith. You might just feel like, I'm done. Sometimes we come to church and you say, you know, I've been playing religion for a long time and I'm giving God one more chance. I'm turning up at church to see whether this deal's real. Well, this is your day. He's speaking to you. It's late in the day for you. It's late in the day, and you're done. And now it's gotten past religion. Now you need to know, is Jesus for real in my life? Is there substance to this thing? Is there really anything to this Christianity except me understanding a certain amount of points from the Bible and a bit of knowledge, and I've been through a ceremony of some sort? Is there more to that? Yes, there's more to that. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and the villages to buy themselves something to eat. See what he said there? What's his response? He's seen the problem. What's his response? Send the people away, Jesus. Get rid of the problem, Jesus. What's the problem? Lack of bread. This is where it begins, right here. Let's start talking about bread, Jesus says. <laughs> Send them away, you say. How about you give them something to eat? So the problem here is that the people need food. This is a real problem. This is their version of the bread. You've got your thing. They've got their thing. Theirs was... Where, where are we going to get something to eat now? Peter's response, get rid of them. Get rid of the problem. Why? Because we have no bread. Peter had a thing about bread. You know, it's like, dude, I need my lunch. I get hypoglycemic. I get really cranky when I don't get fed. You know, just go, give me some food. Get rid of them. Fruit of the Spirit can come back tomorrow, but I need food now. You can tell I'm hypoglycemic. I get this. Like, this is a bit too close. We know to Pat's soul just opening up there. So... Aware of lack, aware of what's missing in your life, the conclusion is that people must go. But Jesus comes in, if you've heard the messages from previous weeks, and it says, Mark 1:15, repent. Hey, stop that. This is a kairos moment. This is, a, this is an opportunity now to learn something. I need to take you somewhere deeper now. It's, you need to repent, change the way you think, and start to believe. What does it look like to repent and believe right now, Pete? You know, we've talked about this for a while, now, now we're done, now we're tired, now the rubber hits the road, let's have a Kairos moment right here. And so your Kairos moment there, which the Kairos word means opportune time, it's time to deal with this. You know, and many of us here, we just keep motoring on in life, and we pass these Kairos moments, and your thing, when it happens, your anger, your anxiety, your relational breakdown, that's your thing. You've been doing that thing all your life. Life gets full of stress, you, you run out of time, you get a lot, lot of energy, and you just find yourself whinging and screaming and, and complaining and wanting things to change. That's your thing. And he's saying, it's time to stop that stuff. Can you not see the cycle that keeps going around? Let's deal with it. He says, you feed them. Instead of looking at the problem, let's look for a, a solution that's God-sized. Now remember, in a, few, in a few more verses, it says they were completely amazed because they didn't understand about the loaves. So what is it about this moment where Peter has said, send them away, and Jesus has said, no, you feed them, that matters. A couple of, picture the dynamic here. They know they've got no food, so they can't feed them. They've got no power. Really, they're just human beings. The only power they have is the power that God will give them. Any authority, anything, it's going to come from him. They're just human beings. But Jesus is saying, you feed them. And they're going, well, obviously, we've got nothing. How do we do that? So he's inviting them in there, you know, into a process just like he's inviting you into a process. Let's rediscover what normal Christianity looks like because it's different to just recognising lack and then asking God to get rid of this, the problem. So I used to wonder what it was about the loaves that were supposed to change their minds. What was it? Have you come up with a conclusion yet? Have you figured it out for me? It's like, what is it about the loaves that was supposed to matter about walking on water? My best conclusion was that, it's, uh, that Jesus was not constrained by any system or any precedent in Scripture. He could, he could do what he wants. He could just walk on water or he could break bread for a thousand people. I thought that's about as good as I could come to, that anything's possible, that, that uh, there was no certain prayer to pray. It was just the fact that Jesus was just free to do anything. He could break outside of the systems. But if you look at the actual response here, the real issue is, we're bringing a problem to Jesus and he's saying, now, how about you become part of the answer because I'm going to work with you and rather than trying to avoid the issue it's no let's let's get on the front foot here and bring a God solution into something that's a man-sized problem so what we do the first thing we need to do with your thing whatever it is is acknowledge it so because sometimes the faith movement would say oh oh, we get in denial about our stuff oh it's not real I just believe and and it's all fine that that's not what's going on here we bring the we bring the reality of our situation we don't need to worry about speaking the truth to God Lord this problem is is bad I've had a diagnosis that could end my life I've I've, I've had a relationship breakdown and I don't know what to do I've just lost my job it's real this this stuff is real the storms they went through were real storms but he was expecting them to have a level of faith that was higher than those storms so we acknowledge the real situation we don't go into denial but then we lean into Jesus for the answer rather than looking for him to fix it by, by avoidance and getting rid of it. Now, let's, what, what if God got involved? What if he made something completely new of this whole situation? So just like Peter in the waves, which happened uh, 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 in the next chapter or so, next few verses, sorry, you, began to, you begin to sink when your eyes are off the provider and on the problem. So if your focus is on what's going wrong, that's when you begin to sink. As soon as he took his eyes off Jesus when he was invited to walk out there, even though Jesus had invited him, he took his eyes off the provider and onto the problem and that's when he began to sink. And so if your, your heart, your eyes and your mind is fixated on the problem and the problem might be a person who's let you down or a situation, whatever it is, you, you've taken, you take your eyes off the provider and your posture in the spirit now is not to invite a kingdom-sized solution in there. So our role as heirs of the kingdom, so we're sons who can rest in him and we're heirs that can advance with him. So our role as those who advance is not to complain about the lack of the kingdom, it's to invite the kingdom into that space and say, Jesus, what does it look like if you came in here right now? Let's just acknowledge the reality of this, it's too big for me, what do you got? So we we aren't to focus on the problem and lose heart, we're to springboard off the problem, recognise the reality of it, but use it as a springboard to lean into Jesus as a provider. So we're not to see the hungry crowds and tell them to go, or wring our hands that the churches are failing. We're not to look at the waves and, and become a victim of them. We're not to look at the lack of bread and wonder about tomorrow's lunch all the time. You've got to listen listen here. We aren't to be offended by the incompetent people around us and insist that someone has to go. This is the real life stuff that you're going to deal with. We're not to see our kids go off the rails and despair of life. We're not to hear the doctor's diagnosis and lose hope. See, God's got so little to say in a conversation of complaint because he just doesn't agree with you. He knows it's real, but there's a potential for anything in that situation. You notice in your own quiet times how seldom God points out your sin. Have you noticed that? There's a time for that. There's a time for conviction. But predominantly, his posture is hope. He's, he draws you on. He offers you calling. He offers, let's, let's do something here. The posture of heaven is advancing all the time. You'll notice that those who have joy and faith in their life seem to hear and, and see God do more. See, God's never shocked. He's never disheartened. He's never in despair. He aims to bring progress. He wants to bring the kingdom into the situation. So rather than focus on the problem, we, f- we focus on the provider. But underpinning all that, there's got to be... You hear that little bubble there? And now, uh, don't be worried about that right now because I, there was, that spoke to me through the worship time of the distraction. See, we can be distracted by a godly noise and miss the whole point because we're enamoured by what we think is a distraction. And we can miss the real issue, the real kingdom, and get beyond the distractions of life. Focus on the distraction instead of the provider. So underpinning all this, we need a sufficiency principle that says, okay, when I'm leaning into the provider here, I'm not prescribing to him how this has to turn out. My faith says, God, you are sufficient. No matter what happens here, we've recognised the problem. This problem is now too big for me. I'll give it to you. I'm not going to prescribe to you how you solve this. And once we have that amount of faith, we say, Lord, you're going to be glorified through this situation, however you want to do that, however that will look. Because trust is not prescriptive. Trust asks the question, what is it you want to do here? So this principle works most powerfully. You'll notice this if you look through this lens, when we hear his actual word. So when we look to the provider, we're actually saying, Lord, what have you got to say about this? What's your word here, Father? And because we're not being prescriptive, we're free then to be able to hear it. It's Mary, in the first miracle of Jesus, telling the servants, just do what he tells you to do. Then the provision comes. It's Peter, when he's about to walk out of the boat, Jesus "I'll come, you just tell me to come. Yeah, come. So he had the authority to do that. It's a centurion coming to Jesus. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus, what are you saying right now? We, we run off assumption about how the prayers are supposed to be answered, how the solution is supposed to come. But he's saying, no, I want you to listen because what I do is far beyond your understanding. And my answer for you may not be in your vocabulary yet, so you've got to learn to listen better. That's why Jesus said, man does not live by what? Bread. Get your eyes off the bread. It doesn't live by bread alone, but by every." Word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's why he nailed that scripture. Get your eyes off the bread, get your ears on the word, and and, and once you hear, because when you hear what God is saying, then He gives the faith that when that word comes, something's going to happen. So prayer is not become about prayer is about sorry tongue tie. Prayer is about becoming a better listener, not a frequent complainer. I love um, a principle. I, I I sort of figured it out myself accidentally. I call it wireframe prayer. So it's, it's non-prescriptive prayer, wireframe prayer. Everyone know what a wireframe is? It's a bit like a colouring in book where you just have an outline and, and, but you choose not to colour it in. So wireframe prayer for me is sort of my default. It's like, this is a real issue. Uh, Lord, I'm just going to outline that for you and leave that there and uh, colour away because <laughs> I can't do anything about this. There's no prescription. Use whatever colour you want. You can shade it. You can make it Picasso-like. I don't mind, Lord, but this is now your problem. And uh, we, just, we agree that this is a problem. We agree this problem is too big for me. Over to you. And I found that, that, in, that inverted the, the frequency with which I began to hear God. Suddenly, he's like, he's got plenty to say. We just seem to ask the wrong question. If you ask God the right question, it's amazing how often he does answer it. But we, when we approach prayer, it's a bit like um, we have this... Uh, a term we use in management. If your only tool's a to hammer, every problem looks like a nail. And so when you come to prayer, you think, well, prayer is just banging on the door of heaven. God, hey, fix, fix, fix. Hammer, hammer, nail, nail. And he goes, well, I've actually given you a screwdriver and because this one just comes out really easily. And so prayer, we need to be able to listen and respond because we're in a relationship here. This isn't religion where it's just it's a rote by rote and a set of rules, it's a liturgy that just is the same every time. This is a relationship here. And so he wants to speak into the situation. And Jesus is not a silent partner in our life. And our most underdeveloped skill in walking with God is that of observation. That's why he later on says, well, let's go straight to it. Mark chapter, um, chapter 8, verse 17. He says, after feeding the 5,000, after walking on water, after feeding the 4,000, and Peter gets into the boat and he's only got one loaf. This is where this verse came from. He's fixated on his lunch problem again. Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but don't see? Ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? He's saying, don't you, well, why aren't you engaging with me right now? Why are you talking about the bread? And you start to see, okay, this is actually, this is why religion doesn't work. Evil and helpful. As long as it's not a re- replacement for a relationship. It can enhance a relationship, but it can't replace it. It's a great servant, but a horrible master. You know what I mean? So, so there's room for all this, but nothing should replace the heart. The form should never replace the freedom. And so if you look through this lens, everything that Jesus is saying through the Gospels is an invitation to a dynamic relationship where he gives us what we need, but he doesn't do it for us. He works through us and he invites us into this partnership. So if you consider what he said there, let's just focus on that. If i still got it on the screen. Um, Mark eight seventeen, He says, Do you have eyes... Let me talk. say the whole lot. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you not understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but don't see and ears that fail to hear and don't you remember? Can you see a cascading in that scripture of what he's doing there? He's actually drilling down to the heart of the problem. Symptom, why are you talking about no bread? Why the heck are you still complaining? You can feel his frustration... He's just gotten on the boat, and he's had a big argument. If you read it, the cross-reference in John chapter 6, the whole chapter of John 6, he's there wrestling with the Pharisees. And, they, and you know, he's just done with people who just don't get it. Why are you talking about having no bread? Why do we do that? Because, follow the reference, we don't understand. That's why we're talking about having no bread, because we don't, we don't get it. Why don't you understand? Because your heart's hard. Right, that's tough. Good talk, Jesus, but okay. Why is your heart hard? Because you're not perceiving me anymore. You're not seeing. You're not hearing. And when you're not leaning on me like that, if you're not able to perceive what I'm doing, then what else is going to happen? Your heart's going to get hard because you're just drawing from yourself the whole time. Why aren't you perceiving? Because you've forgotten. This is why we do communion every week, to remember. Our hearts get hard and we stop to see and hear because we forget what he's done. And if you want to hear what God is saying, as I said in Romans, faith comes from hearing, hearing by God's word. If you want to hear what he's saying, listen to what he said. Remember what he said. Remember what he's done. And if you can't perceive what God's doing and saying, then remember what he's done in the past. And on that bedrock, you begin to go, oh, that's right. I can trust him. I can hear him again. He can do it again. So I wonder what your personal symptoms are. Maybe none. God bless you. Uh, I've had to work this through exhaustively and still in work in progress. But what, what's your symptoms in that cascading list there? Are you still talking about having no bread? Or, in my terms, why are you freaking out? What's filling your mind and your conversations? And, and what are you trying to get alliances around you that agree with you? And why, why are you freaking out? If you don't know what that is, just ask your spouse if you're married. What's your thing? What's that thing? You're, oh, nothing. I don't freak out. Ask your spouse. I'll let you know what your insecurities are. They'll, 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 they'll have it pinned. So do you not understand? That's Jesus' question. If you're freaking out like that, do you not understand? Well, Jesus, no, I don't. So what understanding is knowledge that's applied. So wisdom. Wisdom and understanding are the same, the same term. Wisdom is knowledge applied to life. Religion will say... Just have knowledge, just have content, we just give you information. But it's of no use to us unless it lands in our life and it becomes wisdom, becomes understanding. And so you're talking about having no bread because you don't understand. Why? What, what does that mean? That means the truth of what God is saying has not been applied to your life now. And so by default, we're living as a practical atheist in that sense. We know about him, but practically speaking, we're living without him. There's no reflexive faith. There's no peace about this thing. I'm out of control. This thing's just going into a vortex. And so there's insecurity and there's panic and there's judgment. So why is that? Why don't we understand? Because our heart's hard. So is, is, is that your problem? Is that my problem? Is it, I've just got a hardness of heart. It's, it's a heart that's bereft of God's presence. It's, there's no grace. It's just gone alone. It's, it's, it's an orphaned heart. It's, it's stony. Just fess up. I can't hear him anymore. I can't receive anymore. Well, that's because your heart's hard. It's okay, just fess up. Start there. He'll fix it. He wants to. Maybe you're no longer perceiving and hearing what God's saying. You can't see what he's doing. I know that feeling too. And so in the absence of, of seeing and hearing, God becomes an object. He doesn't speak. He's like an idol that sits on the, on the mantelpiece. He still guides your life because he runs the moral grid for you, but, but he's an object now. He's, he's just... Uh, a slot machine that hopefully you pull the, pull the thing and, and out comes the provision for, for our life. And so how long has it been since you've heard God's word and gotten the faith that comes from that? Maybe you've forgotten. Maybe you've just forgotten that he's done anything in your life and this can happen. There can, we can have days and weeks, sometimes months, sometimes years before t- that we've seen God do something that's obviously just God. I think we can't explain this away any other way. And so we forget. And so it pays to have a journal. It pays to remember all the good things that he's done, the things that he's said, the guidance that he has given. We scream at him sometimes about the guidance that we lack, but we forget the guidance that he's given. And so if we've lost those historical pillars in our life, we lose faith for tomorrow. So before we pray and complain, remember what he's done. Prepare your heart first. If you want to hear what God's saying, remember what he's said. Remember what he's done. And so next week, what we're going to find is that listening, this is just the introduction now. There's a lot in Mark 6 to 8. There's the there's leaven of Herod and the Pharisees. There's, also, there's, there's where's the bread. There's how do we break the bread. Who got the bread? How does that all work? So next week, we're going to go into, into all of that. But because listening, if you dare to go there, this is, a, this is the, the freaky part about that. If you're prepared to listen to God, he's going to speak. And then you've got to do something. He, he's not a passive partner here. When he speaks, he's going to be speaking to you to do something. You feed them. Yeah, but I've got nothing. Yeah, I know, but let's, let's do this. So it's an invitation into a whole new partnership with God. <laughs> Scary, risky, makes mistakes sometimes because it's, we're imperfect. God's perfect, we're not. But we're trying to partner. We're, we're almost like we're unequally yoked with God, aren't we? Well, we definitely are. And so it, it, it becomes a little bit imperfect even though the God we work with is perfect. So I'd be very much amiss today if I talked about God speaking, but we didn't have God speaking to you. And uh, I asked, I, I prayed this morning and I had a few, uh, a few words and senses of things and I got some of the people in church, I said, oh, can you just pray? Um, we'll have some words of knowledge. Because you need God speaking in your life, don't you? And sometimes you can't hear because of the clutter. And so it's easier sometimes for other people to hear on your behalf. And then, But when, when you do, it should be an echo. It should be, oh, I, okay, that's a sense I'm getting from God too. And so we're a prophetic church here in that sense. Uh, we invite God to speak. We put boundaries around that and safety. There's no, no word that comes that you, you haven't got the, the human right to process that and go, you yeah, know, I don't quite agree with that. Or, there's yeah, that, that resonates with what God's saying. You own that responsibility. But there's a fine line in Scripture between despising prophecy, which comes when uh, sometimes the imperfection of the human heart gets in the way, and the desire to to overemphasise or, or, or say, okay, this is, this is thus saith the Lord and only God can be speaking Now, Don't question what I'm saying. There's a, there's a real New Testament balance to this. And navigating that, even the process of navigating that can destroy faith in us because we over-process it, where the whole thing is just a relationship. And as a, as a community of faith, we should just be able to listen and agree and understand with what God's saying. And so this, this is a funny one. He speaks in amazing ways. Amazing ways. I had a sense and I had a certain vocabulary around that and I was just speaking to some of the, the more prophetic guys here before the service. And um, my sense was a, a real, it's, it's I'm done sort of thing. There were, there were some people here today that it's almost like you're on last, the last card with God. One last shot, Jesus. Speak or don't speak. You know, I want to make a commitment, but if I'm in, I'm in. But if I'm out, I'm out. And all that that would mean for you. And there's a book in the cafe and, and uh, uh, it's... it's it's called Go Big or Go Home. And as these guys were praying about this service, it was a real prophetic sense. This is a moment for you. Go big or go home. Make your call and stick to it. But the fact that it's a, it's a, a cooking book and they'd been woken up through the night with a sense of, and their term was, you have suffering from, uh, was it spiritual anxiety? Uh, spiritual anorexia? Does that resonate with you? Spiritual anorexia. You've been starved of God, starved of his voice. And because you haven't heard, you doubt and you don't understand. And that's so understandable. But now with a message like today's message, it's like, go big or go home. And that's not an invitation to go home. (laughs) All right, that's an invitation, go big. God's saying in that sense, you know he's real. You remember him. You're starved of his voice. Fact. You can fix that, but make a commitment to what you know is true. Go big. Don't go home. Because your home's with God. There is nothing but him. There is no other way but him. You may not understand and you don't need to, but it's God or it's nothing. Some other words of knowledge came out and what we'll do after the service, I'll get the guys to come on up and get ready to play. Um, uh, A very recent lower back strain. If that's you, uh, so the prayer team's going to be over here and we're going to be praying into that. So if you've got a, a, a recently suffered uh, lower back strain, come and get some prayer for that. Uh, someone has migraine, tension, headaches and eye strain. In that, that combination, you'll know what that is. Uh, someone has, with their left shoulder at the back, rotator cuff. Um, God wants to do something there, so get that. Uh, physical fatigue and weariness, a real sense of Desperation about a family situation, that's that doneness, I'm done, I need God to get involved in there and you're just fatigued about it. Someone's suffering nerve damage and I agree with that, I had the same, the same word. Uh, melanomas and skin irritations, if you had a diagnosis about that, come down and we'd love to pray into that. Um, some who have been through a shaking and been unsettled but have remained on the rock uh, John 15 promises that if you abide in me, I will abide in you. So if you've, you've been through that real shakenness of your faith, but you, all that's left is just you standing on the rock, but there's little else left, then just come and get some prayer. I think it's just time for you to be refreshed in the Holy Spirit and receive from that. And then one more, someone is suffering from an unforgiveness of themselves. So that means you've, you've failed and you're aware of it and you're just unable to move past that and maybe thinking God can't either. So if, if any of those resonate with you, please come out. We want to minister to God's body today. And, uh, and pray so let's pray now and I just want to lead you through a simple activation to respond to what God's doing let's pray together so just ask God well first of all ask yourself what's what's your problem what's your bread what's that thing that's making you freak out and don't think for a second it's because you're wrong you're probably very right it's just that the focus is on the wrong space so what's your problem Indeed, is the problem the problem? Or is it your heart that's overcooking and taking you into fear and anger? It doesn't matter, that's just a symptom. But can you acknowledge now that this is all just too big for you? This is part of the process to say, this problem, this thing, it's too big for me in my flesh, my mind, my heart. It's not failure to acknowledge that I'm not enough in this life to do it on my own. This is repentance. Repentance. It just says, it puts its hands up and goes, Father, I agree with you. I can't do this. All I'm going to do in my own strength is fail. So Lord, we give you these issues. We give you you this problem of the bread, this feeling that we battle with, this anxiety, this person that we have a problem with, this pain that we're going through. It's too big for us. And so it must be for you, Father. So we give this thing to you. Our shoulders can't bear it. So, Father, we invite you to speak. Speak into that space. Speak hope. Speak grace. Lord, speak love. And Lord, we give you our ears and our eyes that we would hear you and that we would see you. We don't put a prescription on that, we don't, it doesn't need to be right now in this second. But Father, we have faith and we're placing faith in you that you will now deal with this and you will speak to this. You will guide us in this because you are strong and you promise to give us everything we need. So Lord, we hang our cloak and I'm just seeing this as a picture before me now and this might resonate with you. My, my worries, my anxieties, my pain, I hang it like a cloak on a hook and I just walk down a different hallway because it's not serving you too well. It's like wearing a winter cloak in the middle of summer. So walk down that hallway into Jesus. Look to the provider, not the problem. Father, will you speak? I trust you with your people. Bless their hearts. Take us where we can't go in our own. Calm the, the nerves and the fears and the disappointments. And we just trust you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bless you, everyone, and looking forward to next week. Please come and get that prayer uh, towards the end of the service.